Good morning and welcome to Organic Matters here every Saturday morning, 9 to 10 o'clock. For those of you that tune in here locally, and then now I'm on a number of podcasts. If you want to catch me anywhere, anytime, right now you can catch me on Stitcher. I'll be on Apple in the next, oh, by the time this show's on the air probably, Spotify, and a couple others. So as I add, I'll let you know, and then you can start this part of the show talking about something that's dear to us just because this part of the country is where we live in, and that is peppers. Hot peppers, black pepper, poblano peppers, jalapeno peppers, any kind of pepper that you want to talk about. You're going to find out, it's very interesting, science shows that eating all those peppers delivers a lot more than just endorphin rush. That's why they claim we love peppers. It's funny sometimes, well, that thing's hot, but boy, we want more of them. As they have a surprisingly wide range of health benefits, here's a biggie. They can actually help you live longer. This past November, a report from the American Health Association examined health data from more than 570,000 people scattered all across the country here in the United States, oh, and even in Italy and China, and found that compared with people who rarely or never consume chilies, regular chili eaters experienced measurably lower death rates, and not by a small margin either. There's a 26% comparative reduction in cardiovascular mortality, fancy way to say in heart disease, and a 23% reduction in mortality from cancer. These are really not small percentages, folks. A study this large, half a million people over a long period, indicate in some ways that just a certain lifestyle, in this case, regular eating of a spicy foods and the foods that we all eat in this part of the country, more than a lot of places in the world, except maybe maybe Italy and China, actually have a better result on our long life and the health of our bodies than certain medicines they're trying to sell you that have a heck of a lot of side effects that really aren't even good for you. And interestingly, even if you're not worried about heart attacks or cancer, the same study showed a 25% lower death rate from any cause among what I'm going to call chili heads. Well, a single spice of some kind is probably unlikely to have any really major impact on your body by itself. But when combined with a healthy lifestyle, including well-balanced diet, heart-healthy, keep-yourself-moving folks, getting regular exercise, and of course, avoiding excess weight, which has become a problem, not just in this part of Texas, but all over the country. The food sages at Harvard points out that gram for gram, chilies contain more vitamin A, vitamin C, and calcium than what we usually think is great healthy foods, for instance, asparagus, green peas, and celery. Additionally, the Harvard Medical School reports that chilies actually speed up your metabolism and help oxidize fat. To quote another famous medicine school, Penn Medicine, that's the research and clinical arm of the University of Pennsylvania, has published a good bit of information that I came across about the health benefits of capsaicin. That's the chemical compound that gives chilies that signature sting that we get. According to Penn Medicine, chilies can lower your LDL. Folks, that's the bad kind. of That's the, the side of the cholesterol you want to lower. And bind with receptors in your digestive system. This gets kind of wordy. Uh, and it creates a thing called a nanomide. 
And that is really just a chemical that's shown to reduce inflammation in your whole gut system. And it appears in that same study that the reaction that calms down your gastrointestinal tract, your gut system, also helped to keep it tumor-free. It seems that it may be particularly effective for people that already have a high risk of developing intestinal tumors. And while we're on the subject of guts, <laughs> chilies can be a digestive aid as well. University of Michigan says chilies, or capsaicin, as it's the active ingredient is called, increase digestive juices in the stomach, which helps the body process all those, all those tacos and enchiladas that we have uh, kind of all been pounding down for a while. They also stave off harmful bacteria in your lower gut that can lead to, uh, let's call it distress in the lower tract, um, diarrhea, infections, all that, all from a good constant source of whatever kind of peppers. It seems that some are better than others or just in general. If you're eating capsaicin, you're doing some good for your body. And finally, so I don't beat this chili horse to death. Chilies can clear up congestion. Capsaicin has been shown to help with non-allergic rhinitis, fancy word, other words, a stuffy nose, okay, caused by changes in weather or the environmental irritants such as dust and smoke and particulates. Sadly, it won't help you much with your allergies, and you can benefit from this one even if you can't stand the taste of peppers, as there are several capsaicin-based nasal sprays now on the market. So the evidence is pretty doggone clear, folks. Whether you eat them, <laughs> or in this case, you snort them. Well, that sounds weird to me. Chilies do a body good. And while we're on the subject of health and food and body, and I think it's a new study. Well, it's new to me, but I didn't realize. I've always been told, you know, we have been told to lay off uh, the red meats and kind of lean back and not, not kind of slow it down a little bit, folks. Now, a recent study has changed things a little bit from what we've been told. As we get older, we actually need and require more protein instead of less. We always think of uh, protein as the guys that want to be bodybuilders and weightlifters. And when they're young, yes, there's a recommendation that they get about 0.8 grams. Okay, I'll give you that number. That's like three ounces of protein for the whole day. That's not that much. But after 50, they've discovered that we need probably as much as twice or a little bit more, 1.6 to 2 grams of protein per kilogram of your body weight. So let me translate it for all of us that have been living in the United States all of our lives. We don't do grams and kilos very well. And what they're saying now is you, it's, it's good, matter of fact, safer for you to increase your protein intake to about 5 ounces of lean meat, poultry, or fish. That can be as many as 4 or 5 eggs one and a half cups of beans or a cup of low-fat cottage cheese. Some people happen to love yogurt. That's okay, too. But, but it, the point they're trying to make on this is what we have learned is because our bodies are constantly breaking down muscle and tissue throughout the day, and it's still very important, we lose about 1% of our muscle mass every year after we turn 50 on average. It's important to eat a consistent portion of protein at every meal to rebuild and bump up the amino acids in your system on a regular basis. 
So that doesn't mean sit down and have your 16-ounce steak all at once. It's better off. Uh, it's recommended, as a matter of fact, that you consistently consume about 30 grams, about four or five ounces of protein every three or four hours, which translates in our way of life here in the United States, breakfast, lunch, snack, and dinner. So it's actually saying four feedings. So as much as 16 ounces or 20 ounces of protein. Now, folks, it could be plant protein. We can, we can really get into this if you want to. You find your protein sources that fit best for you, and that can include some red meat. That can include poultry or eggs unless you have a problem with them. But there's a lot of plant sources. Soy itself breaks down slower, so it's not quite as efficient. But if you're into soy products and you don't have a problem with them, there is some problems with uh, ladies overeating soy. You have to consider that on the other side. But in general, you want about 30 grams, about four or five ounces of a protein three or four times a day. And and that's a far different recommendation than they gave, oh, 10 years ago or 15. This is an update from the American Heart Association and several colleges that have been studying this for a pretty long time now. And I'm even changing. I'm already a decent protein eater. I usually do almost always I'm not a hunter, strangely enough, folks, but I am, I do, I guess I'm going to use the word butcher it out for other people and then keep a part of it. That's how I get my protein. A lot of deer. Uh, I have a friend that always has wild ducks for me. I, of course, used to raise my own Muscovy ducks, but protein, you need about four shots a day. Let's call it that. Four little parts a day, especially if you're over 50 and it gets really important by the time you get to 65. And if you either don't like soy products or can't eat them, there are others that are really good for you. Other products that do just as good. Lentils, which we don't eat a lot here in the States, but it's excellent. Beans of all kinds. Almost every nut and every seed. Those are all good plant-based proteins with a variable amount of the amino acid profiles that can really give your body a boost and keep your muscle mass up. Now, the only other thing you need to add to that is some form of exercise and make it something you enjoy. It doesn't have to be weightlifting if you don't want to do that. You do want to do some resistance exercises. You can do them with rubber bands. Uh, you can do them with cans of beans. I don't care what it is. Resistance bands have gotten very popular for us older folks. Pilates. Even yoga surprised me how, how beneficial it can be. They help make our muscles more sensitive to digesting the protein from the food so that more protein that is consumed actually ends up staying in your body as part of your muscle mass. So it's recommended that all adults from the time you reach 50 and over, and I mean go on and do it, you participate in at least a couple of sessions of a decent a resistance exercise per week. Now, they didn't bring up in this particular article anything about just aerobic exercises. I personally believe in them. Get your heartbeat and your breathing ratios up a couple times a week also. In my younger days, I overdid it. I didn't think I was. But you don't. this doesn't have to be a stress and strain. It has to be a constant resistance and do it on a regular basis. Make it as simple. I happen to ride a bicycle. 
I have I do that because I don't have good legs. I can't I can't do heavy on my legs, but a bike works. It's almost as good as swimming for your legs. Swimming is another great exercise if you happen to be into it. But just walking at a at a, an advanced pace if you can, and, li- and literally picking. I do uh, three sessions a week. I do them right in my home. You don't have to go to a gym if you don't want to get involved in a gym. Just be consistent with it. You don't have to break out into a solid sweat. You just have to, in essence, eat more protein than they used to originally recommend and get as much exercise as you can comfortably do without hurting yourself. I have actually overdone it myself a few times. So I'm learning to kind of relax and sit back uh, in between sessions. It doesn't have to all be at once, they claim now. If you need to break it up throughout the day, a couple days a week to get the amount of exercise that gets your muscles moving part of the time and maybe some resistance in the way of a... My bicycle actually has an electric assist, but I only use it after I've gotten my... I wear a watch that tells me my heartbeat. I even have a machine now that does my own EKG, so I guess maybe I'm a bit of a health fanatic. But either way, get some exercise Eat more protein than they used to recommend. Almost double is what seems to be best for us older folks now. And it won't hurt your younger people either. And the one that I will stress more than ever because the percentage is is off the charts. Uh, Watch your weight a little bit. And as a final thought, just remember, you are what you eat.